Chapter Thirteen, Part Two, of *The Heir of Redcliffe* by Charlotte M. Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, Part Two. They talked on with happy silences between, Guy standing all the time with his branch of roses in his hand, and Amy looking up to him and trying to realize it, and to understand why she was so very, very happy. No one thought of time till Charlotte rushed in, like a whirlwind, crying, "'Oh, here you are. We cannot think what had become of you. There has Delarain been at the door these ten minutes, and Charlie sent me to find you, for he says if you are too late for Mrs. Henley's dinner, she will write such an account of you to Philip as you will never get over.' Very little of this was heard. There was only the instinctive consternation of being too late. They started up. Guy threw down his roses, caught Amy's hand, and pressed it, while she bent down her head, hiding the renewed blush. He dashed out of the room, and up to his own, while Mrs. Edmonston and Charlotte hurried down. In another second he was back again, and once more Amy felt the pressure of his hand on hers. Goodbye, he said, and she whispered another goodbye, the only word she had spoken. One moment more he lingered. My Verena, said he, but the hurrying sounds in the hall warned him. He sprang down to the drawing-room. Even Charles was on the alert, standing, leaning against the table, and looking eager. But Guy had not time to let him speak. He only shook hands and wished goodbye, with a sort of vehement, agitated cordiality, concealed by his haste. "'Where's Amy?' cried Charlotte. "'Amy? Is not she coming to wish him good-bye?' He said something, of which upstairs was the only audible word, held Mrs. Edmonston's hand fast, while she said in a low voice, "'You shall hear from Papa to-morrow,' then sprung on his horse and looked up. Amy was at the window. He saw her head bending forward, under its veil of curls, in the midst of the roses round the lattice. Their eyes met once more. He gave one beamy smile, then rode off at full speed, with bustle racing after him, while Amy threw herself on her knees by her bed, and with hands clasped over her face, prayed that she might be thankful enough, and never be unworthy of him. Everyone wanted to get rid of everyone else, except Mrs. Edmonston, for all but Charlotte guessed at the state of the case, and even she perceived that something was going on. Lady Eveline was in a state of great curiosity, but she had mercy. She knew that they must tell each other before it came to her turn, and very good-naturedly she invited Charlotte to come into the garden with her, and kept her out of the way by a full account of her last fancy ball given with so much spirit and humor, that Charlotte could not help attending. Charles and Laura gained little by this kind maneuver, for their mother was gone up again to Amy, and they could only make a few conjectures. Charles nursed his right hand, and asked Laura how hers felt. She looked up from her work, to which she had begun to apply herself diligently, and gazed at him inquiringly, as if to see whether he intended anything. For my part, he added, I certainly thought he meant to carry off the hands of some of the family. I suppose we shall soon hear it explained, said Laura quietly. Soon? 
If I had as many legs as you, would I wait for other people soon? I should think she had rather be left to Mama, said Laura, going on with her work. Then you do think there is something in it, said Charles, peering up in her face. But he saw he was teasing her, recollected that she had long seemed out of spirits, and forbore to say any more. He was, however, too impatient to remain longer quiet, and presently Laura saw him adjusting his crutches. Oh, Charlie, I am sure it will only be troublesome. I am going to my own room, said Charles, hopping off. I presume you don't wish to forbid that. His room had a door into the dressing room, so that it was an excellent place for discovering all from which they did not wish to exclude him, and he did not believe he should be unwelcome. For though he might pretend it was all fun and curiosity, he heartily loved his little Amy. The tap of his crutches, and the slow motion with which he raised himself from step to step, was heard, and Amy, who was leaning against her mother, started up, exclaiming, "'Oh, Mama, here comes Charlie. May I tell him? I'm sure I can't meet him without.' "'I suspect he has guessed it already,' said Mrs. Edmonston. Going to open the door, just as he reached the head of the stairs, and then leaving them, well, Amy, said he, looking full at her carnation cheeks, are you prepared to see me turn lead-colored and fall into convulsions, like the sister with the spine complaint? Oh, Charlie, you know it. But how? Amy was helping him to the sofa, laid him down, and sat by him on the old footstool. He put his arm round her neck, and she rested her head on his shoulder. Well, Amy, I give you joy, my small woman, said he, talking the more nonsense because of the fullness in his throat, and I hope you give me credit for amazing self-denial in so doing. Oh, Charlie, dear Charlie, and she kissed him. She could not blush more, poor little thing, for she had already reached her utmost capability of redness. It is no such thing. No such thing? What has turned you into a turkey-cock all at once, or what made him nearly squeeze off my unfortunate fingers? No such thing, indeed. I mean, I mean, it is not that. We are so very young, and I am so silly. Is that his reason? You must make me so much better and wiser. Oh, if I could but be good enough. For that matter... I don't think anyone else would be good enough to take care of such a silly little thing. But what is the that, that it is or is not? Nothing now, only when we are older. At least, you know Papa has not heard it. Provided my father gives his consent, as the Irish young lady added to all her responses through the marriage service. But tell me all, all you like, I mean, for you will have lover's secrets now, Amy. Mrs. Edmonston had, meantime, gone down to Laura. Poor Laura! As soon as her brother had left the room, she allowed the fixed composure of her face to relax into a restless, harassed, almost miserable expression, and walked up and down with agitated steps. A wealth! Wealth! Her lips formed the words, without uttering them. What cruel differences it makes! All smooth here! 
young not to be trusted with strange reserves discreditable connections that family that fearful temper showing itself even to her all will be overlooked papa will be delighted i know he will and how is it with us proved noble superior owned as such by all as philip is yet for that want of hateful money he would be spurned and for this for this the love that has grown up with our lives must be crushed down and hidden our life is wearing out in wearying self-watching the lock of the door turned and laura had resumed her ordinary expression before it opened and her mother came in but there was anything but calmness beneath for the pang of self-reproach had come was it thus that she prepared to hear these tidings of her sister well laura began mrs edmonston with the eager smile of one bringing delightful news and sure of sympathy it is so then said laura dear dear little amy i hope and her eyes filled with tears but she had learnt to dread any outbreak of feeling conquered it in a minute and said what has happened how does it stand it stands at least as far as i can say without papa as the dear guy very rightly and wisely wished it to stand there is no positive engagement they are both too young but he thought it was not right to remain here without letting us know his sentiments towards her a pang shot through laura but it was but for a moment guy might doubt where philip need never do so her mother went on their frankness and confidence are most beautiful we know dear little amy could not help it but there was something very sweet very noble in his way of telling all another pang for laura but no it was only poverty that was to blame philip would speak as plainly if his prospects were as fair oh i hope it will do well said she it must it will cried mrs edmonston giving way to her joyful enthusiasm of affection it is nonsense to doubt knowing him as we do there is not a man in the world with whom i could be so happy to trust her laura could not hear guy said above all men in the world and she remembered philip's warning to her two years ago there is much that is very good and very delightful about him she said hesitatingly you are thinking of the morville temper said her mother but i am not afraid of it a naturally hot temper controlled like his by a strong religious principle is far safer than a cool easy one without the principle laura thought this going too far but she felt some compensation due to guy and acknowledged how strongly he was actuated by principle however and it was well for her they could not talk long for eveline and charlotte were approaching and she hastily asked what was to be done about telling ava who could not fail to guess something we must tell her and make her promise absolute secrecy said mrs edmonston i will speak to her myself but i must wait till i have seen papa there is no doubt of what he will say but we have been taking quite liberties enough in his absence laura did not see her sister till luncheon when amy came down 
with a glow in her cheeks that made her so much prettier than usual, that Charles wished Guy could have seen her. She said little, and ran up again as soon as she could. Laura followed her, and the two sisters threw their arms fondly round each other and kissed repeatedly. "'Mom has told you,' said Amy. "'Oh, it has made me so very happy, and everyone is so kind. "'Dear, dear Amy, I'm only afraid. "'He has begun so well.' "'Oh, nonsense. "'You cannot think I could be so foolish as to be afraid for him. "'Oh, no. "'But if you should take me for more than I am worth. "'Oh, Laura, Laura, what shall I do to be as good and sensible as you?' I must not be silly little Amy any more. Perhaps he likes you best as you are. I don't mean cleverness. I can't help that. And he knows how stupid I am. But I'm afraid he thinks there is more worth in me. Don't you know, he has a sort of sunshine in his eyes and mind that makes all he cares about seem to him brighter and better than it really is. I'm afraid he is only dressing me up with that sunshine. It must be strange sunshine that you want to make you better and brighter than you are, said Laura, kissing her. I'll tell you what it is, said Amy, folding her hands and standing with her face raised. It won't do now, as you told me once, to have no bones in my character. I must learn to be steady and strong, if I can. For if this is to be, he will depend on me. I don't mean to advise him, for he knows better than anybody, but to be, you know what, if vexation or trouble was to come. And Laura, think if he was to depend on me, and I was to fail. Oh, do help me to have firmness and self-command, like you. It was a long time ago that we talked of your wanting bones. Yes, before he came. But I never forget it. Laura was obliged to go out with Eveline. All went their different ways, and Amy had the garden to herself to cool her cheeks in. But this was a vain operation, for a fresh access of burning was brought on while Laura was helping her dress for dinner, when her father's quick step sounded in the passage. He knocked at her door, and as she opened it, he kissed her on each cheek and throwing his arm round her, exclaimed, "'Well, Miss Amy, you have made a fine morning's work of it. A pretty thing for young ladies to be accepting offers while Papa is out of the way, eh, Laura?' Amy knew this was a manifestation of extreme delight, but it was not very pleasant to Laura. "'So you have made a conquest,' proceeded Mr. Edmonston, "'and I heartily wish you joy of it, my dear. He is as amiable and good-natured a youth.' as I would wish to see, and I should say the same if he had not a shilling in the world. Laura's heart bounded, but she knew, whatever her father might fancy, the reality would be very different if Guy were as poor as Philip. I shall write to him this very evening, he continued, and tell him, if he has the bad taste to like such a silly little white thing, I am not the man to stand in his way. Eh, Amy? Shall I tell him so? Tell him what you please, dear Papa. Eh? What I please? Suppose I say we can't spare our little one, and he may go about his business. I'm not afraid of you, Papa. 
Come, she's a good little thing. Shan't be teased, eh, Laura? What do you think of it, our beauty? To see your younger sister impertinent enough to set up a lover, while your pink cheeks are left in the lurch. Laura, not being wont to make playful repartees, her silence passed unnoticed. Her feelings were mixed, but perhaps the predominant one was satisfaction that it was not for her pink cheeks that she was valued. It had occurred to Mrs. Edmiston that it was a curious thing, after her attempt at scheming for Eveline, to have to announce to her that Guy was attached to her own daughter. Nay, after the willingness Eveline had manifested to be gratified with any attention Guy showed her, it seemed doubtful for a moment whether the intelligence would be pleasing to her. However, Eveline was just the girl to like men better than women, and never to be so happy as when on the verge of flirting. It would probably have been the same with any other youth that had come in her way. And Guy might fully be acquitted of doing more than paying her the civilities which were requisite from him to any young lady visitor. He had two years ago, when a mere boy, idled, laughed, and made fun with her. But his fear of trifling away his time had made him draw back, before he had involved himself in what might have led to anything further. And during the present visit, no one could doubt that he was preoccupied with Amy. At any rate, it was right that Eveline should know the truth in confidence, if only to prevent her from talking of any surmises she might have. Mrs. Edmiston was set at ease in a moment. Eveline was enchanted, danced round and round the room, declared they would be the most charming couple in the world. She had seen it all along. She was so delighted they had come to an understanding at last, poor things. They were so miserable all last week. And she must take credit to herself for having done it all. Was not her aunt very much obliged to her? My dear Ava, exclaimed Mrs. Edmiston, into whose mind the notion never entered that anyone could boast of such a proceeding as hers last night. But the truth was that Eveline, feeling slightly culpable, was delighted that all had turned out so well, and resolved to carry it off with a high hand. To be sure, poor little Amy, when she looked ready to sink into the earth, she little knew her obligations to me. Was not it the cleverest thing in the world? It was just the touch they wanted, the very thing. My dear, I am glad I know that you are sometimes given to talking nonsense, said Mrs. Edmonston, laughing. And you won't believe me serious. You won't be grateful to me for my lucky hit, said Eveline, looking comically injured. Oh, Auntie, that is very hard, when I shall believe to my dying day that I did it. Why, Ava, if I thought it had been done by design, I should find it very hard to forgive you for it at all, rather hard even to accept Guy. So you had better not try to disturb my belief that it was only that spirit of mischief that makes you now and then a little mad. Oh, dear, what a desperate scolding you must have given poor little Charlotte, exclaimed Eveline quaintly. Mrs. Edmonston could not help laughing as she confessed that she had altogether forgotten Charlotte. Then you will. You'll go on forgetting her, cried Eveline. She only did what she was told and did not know the malice of it. There, you are relenting. 
There's a good aunt. And now, if you won't be grateful, as any other mamma in the world would have been, and as I calculated on, when I pretended to have been a prudent, designing woman, instead of a wild, mischievous monkey, at least you'll forgive me enough to invite me to the wedding. Oh, what a beauty of a wedding it will be! I'd come from Kilcaran all the way on my bare knees to see it. And you'll let me be bridesmaid and have a ball after it. There's no saying what I may do, if you'll only be a good girl and hold your tongue. I don't want to prevent your telling anything to your mamma, of course, but pray don't let it go any further. Don't let Morris hear it, and I have a special reason for wishing it should not be known. You know it is not even an engagement, and nothing must be done which can make Guy feel in the least bound. Eveline promised, and Mrs. Edmonston knew that she had sense and proper feeling enough for her promise to deserve trust. End chapter 13